listening to Green State, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, the agency responsible for restoring, maintaining, and enhancing the quality of Oregon's air, land, and water. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Green State. I'm Dylan Darling. And I'm Lauren Wordis, and we are communications staff at the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, bringing you stories each month about how DEQ is protecting Oregon's air, land, and water. It's February and almost feels like spring, Lauren. I know. I just keep watching the sun calendar clock to see how soon it's going to be that we have light past 6 p.m. First it was 5 p.m. and now I'm, I'm going for 6. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there so soon. So get into what we're really going to talk about today, and that is electric vehicles. And when we're talking about electric vehicles, or you'll hear us and others say EV, that's the little phrase that you'll hear a lot is EV for electric vehicles. And when we say that, we mean an actual battery electric or a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. And I don't know about you, Dylan, but I feel like I've been seeing more and more of these electric vehicles on the road since we've been talking about them. If you haven't noticed them on the road, you might have noticed them during the Super Bowl. Ads for EVs were sprinkled all throughout the ad lineup during the game, in between ads trying to sell me on cryptocurrency and poking fun at the metaverse. Frankly, I understand EVs a lot more. These ads were for familiar car companies showing off electric versions of already popular models, as well as new models and even new companies. Right. And it's been a while since I've driven an electric vehicle, but it was really cool to see the wide range of options that are out there now. When I think back on electric vehicles, those early EVs really looked like they were EVs. So they kind of had this futuristic look or looked like what I would call Whoville cars, something out of a, a Dr. Seuss book, something like one of those characters would drive. But now you've got all these new cars and trucks and they just look like normal cars or trucks and they just happen to be EVs. I gotta say, some of the new EVs, they're starting to turn my head. Just the other day, I was at the grocery store and had that thought, whoa, nice car, and then realized, hey, that's an EV. I'm wondering, have you ever thought about buying an EV lawn? You know, I, I have been thinking about it for a while, and I'm not really a big car person. So it's like a teenager. I inherited my dad's 1985 Toyota pickup, which is probably still running somewhere. And then I didn't have a car for about seven years. And then I had a 2005 Honda Civic Coupe. So while I've thought about getting an EV, I'm also a very low maintenance car person. I just really want to get from A to B, whether that's within a city or to the coast or out to a hike. I don't want to be constantly worried about having to recharge. And I haven't ever owned a home. So I am kind of wondering like how I'm going to deal with charging when I don't own the space that I live in. So I'm not sure where that charging would happen. And I don't want to do a ton of maintenance. And I haven't really driven an EV since 2012. So I imagine a lot of these things are, are better and easier now. But I'm, I'm really excited to get into this podcast and learn more. Yeah, well, gosh, great list and thoughts there, Lauren. And, you know, when we talked with DEQ's director, Richard Whitman, last month about the Climate Protection Program, he actually brought up his own experience of getting an EV. At, he mentioned it with you. This is a really good way to get into this conversation. So let's cut to a clip from that interview real quick. 
I have to say, when DEQ bought its first fleet of uh, Chevy Bolts and I drove one, I liked it so much that I went out and bought one myself. Uh, And so I've had a I've had a Bolt since 2017. And, you know, we went through the whole thing and people will say, well, they had battery problems and they did have battery problems. But Chevy uh, replaced the batteries in all their Chevy Bolts. And so I've got a brand spanking new battery in my Chevy Bolt and it drives like a dream. And I've even I drove from Portland to Pendleton in it uh, a couple of years ago. And I've been to Bend a couple of times. So I love it. I think as people see and get to experience these cars and including how fast they accelerate and how well they (laughs) handle, I think they're going to sell really well. They're going to continue to sell really well. Absolutely. And I can see electric vehicles making sense for a lot of reasons, but I rent the place that I live in. And so I'm, I'm not sure how I would go about installing a charger or if I'm even allowed to install a charger. So stuff to figure out. If you have an electric dryer or washing machine, mm-hmm. you, can, you can actually plug it in to that outlet. And it will charge. It charges slowly, but it, it charges enough so that you really don't need anything else for charging. Okay, great. Yeah, and I don't drive that much, which is you know. Anyway, very excited about that. Well, that's great to hear. A friend of mine has a Leaf, I think, and was saying that you can go down to Salem and back, you know, a couple times, and then the charge of filling up on that is like three dollars, which is great. I, I the savings in terms of maintenance cost. Also, I have we mm-hmm. have not paid a dime for maintenance uh, in wow. four years for that car, and. So, yeah, it's great. I think people is people realize the cost savings. They're going to they're going to sell really well. I was so grateful for Director Whitman's advice. As much as all the scientific information we're about to delve into is really helpful, having a recommendation from someone who actually owns and uses an EV in real life is incredibly valuable. So for listeners out there, this is really going to be a news you can use kind of episode of the podcast. We're going to give you a lot of information about what Oregon agencies are doing to support Oregonians transition to electric vehicles. That's so true. You'll probably hear us say show notes about a thousand times in this podcast because we will be linking to a ton of information in the show notes. Hopefully you appreciate this because it's really going to be a roadmap for how to find, buy, make it possible to get an EV. But to get us started, I think the first question most of us would have about all this is, what would it cost me? And that's exactly why we're going to start with someone from DEQ who runs the Oregon Clean Vehicle Rebate Program, a program that makes buying electric vehicles more affordable. So my name is Rachel Sakata, and I'm a senior air quality planner, as well as the program manager for the Oregon Clean Vehicle Rebate Program. In 2017, the Oregon legislature passed a law directing the Oregon DEQ to create and implement an electric vehicle rebate program. And one of the main reasons for doing so was to address the effects of climate change and to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Really, the transportation sector accounts for almost 40% of greenhouse gas emissions in the state and reducing tailpipe emissions is one way to achieve that goal. Additionally, Governor Brown set an ambitious goal of having 250,000 registered electric vehicles by 2025. And so this rebate program is a key component for us to reach that goal. Tell us, how has this program been going since 2017? 
Well, it's been going pretty good so far. We basically get $12 million a year to distribute in rebates and have been able to successfully distribute the money. And we've been gradually getting the word out to potential electric vehicle buyers, auto dealers, and the public about this great program that's available to any Oregonian. And we've seen an increase in program participation every year as more electric vehicles come into the market and more people become aware of our rebate. That's so great to hear that the program is being used like that. So the rebates are really the star of the program today. So could you give us an overview of the different rebates that are available through the program and the difference between them? Basically, we have two components to our EV rebate program. We have what are called standard rebates and another one that's called a charge ahead rebate. And so I'll start with the standard rebates first. This is offered to any Oregon resident for the purchase or lease of a new battery electric or plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, as well as an electric motorcycle. And the rebate amount is tiered depending upon the battery capacity of the vehicle. So for example, an electric motorcycle receives $750 under our program. Things like a plug-in electric hybrid could receive $1,500, and then your full battery electric vehicles can receive $2,500. There are a few other conditions to be eligible for the rebate. The vehicle does have to have a base manufacturer suggested retail price of less than $50,000. The person who's buying or leasing the car does have to register the car in Oregon and maintain that registration for at least 24 months. And one other thing that I just want to note is that You know, there's a little bit of confusion sometimes when we talk about hybrid electric vehicles. The way I tell people is you've got to be able to plug in the car to charge it. And so, you know, while there are hybrid cars out there that do have a battery, but you don't plug it into anything in order for the car to qualify for our rebate program, you've got to be able to plug it in. And then another thing to note, too, that under our standard rebate program, you know, it's for individuals in Oregon, but also businesses, organizations and nonprofits can also apply for the standard rebate. And then we allow them to get up to 10 rebates per calendar year. Then we have another uh, rebate, which is what we call the charge ahead rebate. And so this is an income based incentive in which a flat $5,000 is available to low and moderate income households who purchase or lease a new or used vehicle. And I want to emphasize that this rebate can be used for new and used vehicles, unlike the other rebate, the standard one, which is only valid if you purchase or lease a new electric vehicle. The charge ahead rebate can only be obtained by low and moderate income households who meet our income thresholds. And basically, you've got to be below 400 percent of the federal poverty level. So as an example, if you're a household of four, then you have to be below one hundred six thousand dollars for the year. And then the last most important thing for both a standard charge ahead, you do have to purchase from a licensed auto dealer, and that includes the used vehicles. So we do not allow person to person sales to qualify for the rebate. Okay, that's all really helpful context. So we have these two different rebates. Can they stack up? You know, if I qualify for the charge ahead rebate, do I also get the standard rebate? Yes, you can. And it's a great question. So if you are a low or moderate income household and you are purchasing or leasing a new vehicle, you can combine it with the standard rebate. So that means you could get 
up to $7,500 off your purchase or lease. Again, you know, this is only if you're a charge ahead household purchasing a new vehicle and you combine it with that standard rebate, which is only for the new vehicles, you get that stacked rebate. And we understand that new cars are more expensive than used cars. And this additional rebate, we hope makes it more achievable for the low and moderate income households to purchase new if they so choose. Otherwise, the charge ahead rebate household could just purchase or lease a used vehicle and still get that flat $5,000 rebate. I really appreciate you taking us through this. It, it reminds me a lot of kind of complex topics like buying a home or something like that that seems so intimidating. Like what is mortgage? What's an interest rate? But as you learn more about something like these rebates, it's like, oh, these are these tools to make this thing happen. And then I can get excited about things like electric motorcycle because of what you said, I was like, wait a second, there's electric motorcycles? back to the rebate program and everything, would you please take us through some of the stats for these rebates? How many have been issued by DEQ? How much money has been put out there? What do we know about the program so far? What the numbers are telling us? The program has definitely had a great participation rate. We have issued over 17,500 rebates since we began, and that translates to over $42 million going to people to purchase or lease an electric vehicle. We think that's fantastic. And we're definitely seeing increased participation as the years go on. And as more vehicle models become available, as you've got some of the major manufacturers who've committed to going 100% electric by 2030 or 2035, it's fantastic to see so many more people starting to adopt the electric vehicles. It used to kind of feel like, and I haven't driven an electric vehicle since like 2012, but used to feel like they might be on the smaller side or they'd look a little kind of space agey. You know, they, you kind of were like, oh, you could identify an electric vehicle. And now we got Ford F-150, you've got sporty cars and you can buy all the kinds of cars or motorcycles that you'd want to buy. But now they just have these cool electric features. You don't have to pay for gas. And I hear they go very fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they do. You know, it's funny when you get into an electric vehicle, they're pretty zippy. They have pretty good acceleration and you go, whoa. And it's great because they do look like your typical cars out there. There's a lot more choices that are becoming available before, as you mentioned, it was just those little itty bitty cars. I think that we saw now you're seeing more of like the SUV type vehicles that the manufacturers are putting out. You're seeing more cars with all wheel drive because I know a lot of people like to be able to get up to the mountain, things like that. And so, and the manufacturers have definitely indicated how more of their vehicle models and selection are going to be forthcoming in the next few years. So I'm really excited to just see what they're going to put out there. And as you mentioned, there's the Ford F-150, there's the Rivian truck, even more types of vehicles. I think even there's going to be an electric Hummer becoming available. (laughs) So it's really going to be exciting to see what's out there. Absolutely. And then we know DEQ made an announcement around the Oregon Clean Vehicle Rebate Program in early 2022. So just, I think, in January this year. So what just changed recently? Sure. In 2021, actually, the legislature made some changes to the program that revised the amount a charge ahead rebate recipient could receive, but the changes didn't go into effect until 2022. 
So up until the end of 2021, Charge Ahead rebate recipients only got $2,500. And now we've increased it to $5,000. So that's why when I mentioned Charge Ahead rebates, we're saying it's $5,000 because it just very recently changed. Another change too is that low income service providers can apply for the Charge Ahead rebate. Before it was only the low and moderate income individuals who are allowed to apply but now low-income service providers can also get it. So that means any organization that provides health, dental, social, financial, energy conservation, or other assistive services to lower moderate income households can purchase or lease an electric vehicle for their organization. So really, it kind of helps get more EVs out there. These EVs could be used to help shuttle people from different locations as part of their organizations. I think it's really just a great opportunity. Well, thanks again for taking us through that. When it comes to EVs, it almost reminds me of like smartphones, how it begins with one brand and it's almost like a luxury item and then it becomes more and more available in the standard. And so what I'm hearing you say is with these changes, it seems like the intent was just to make EVs more available to individuals and organizations. Tell me if I, I'm hearing you correct and, and help me understand what led to these changes and what the changes are accomplishing. Really, the bottom line is that we want to ensure that low and moderate income households, communities of color, all have an opportunity to take advantage of getting a cleaner car for their household or organization. Increasing the rebate amount makes it more achievable for these households. There are more and more electric vehicles available on the market and on the road. And if you're thinking of buying a new car anytime in the near future, you know, think electric. And the state of Oregon has a rebate program where you, we basically offer you money if you purchase or lease an electric vehicle. And we'll give you even more money if you're from a lower moderate income household, because we really want to make sure that we can get everyone into an electric vehicle. Okay, Dylan, what should we take away from all the great information Rachel just gave us? Wow, there's a number of things. Here's what I'd say, thinking from the perspective of a person who is thinking about buying an EV. First, go to DEQ's EV rebates page, ordeq.org slash EV rebate. Again, ordeq.org slash EV rebate. There, you can get information about what types of cars are eligible for the program, what types of rebates that you might qualify for, and where to find dealerships near you that can give you this rebate on top of the car's price. And now, if you qualify as low or moderate income household, you can get as much as $7,500 off the price of your electric vehicle. Absolutely. And it, you know, it's also great to hear the emphasis this program is putting on promoting the charge ahead rebate to make these vehicles more accessible, especially since they can be significantly cheaper in terms of fuel and maintenance costs. That's in terms of those annual costs that we all just used to having to put out when it comes to owning a vehicle. And this program is also available to organizations who need a vehicle as part of their operations. They can get up to 10 rebates per year and nonprofit organizations can qualify for this charge ahead rebate as well. We'll link, of course, in the show notes. And another aspect of EVs that is becoming more accessible is the ability to charge them. Both finding a place to charge near you and charging while on the road are pretty convenient. We talked to Mary Brazel from the Oregon Department of Transportation to hear about Oregon's current and future EV infrastructure. Mary, thank you so much for doing this interview with us today. 
And if you could start with your name and title, and then just tell us a little bit about as Oregonians might be thinking about purchasing an electric vehicle, we think that they could be thinking, well, what happens if I get stuck somewhere? What is the infrastructure like? I know I'll always see a gas station, but will I always find a place to charge up? So maybe you can tell us about ODOT's role when it comes to that. Great. Well, thank you, Lauren. My name is Mary Brassel, and I'm the Transportation Electrification Program Manager in the Climate Office at the Oregon Department of Transportation. And first, I'd like to assure everyone that Oregon has over 2,100 public chargers and a lot more coming, so you shouldn't have to worry about getting stuck. Plus, one of the big benefits of owning an EV is the ability to charge up at home. So I'd also like to start out by clearing up a common misconception about the Oregon Department of Transportation's role. I'm going to call the Oregon Department of Transportation ODOT some of the time. So ODOT does not build, own, or operate EV charging infrastructure. We look to the private sector to build charging stations, and we work with them on that. But we do not own them or build them or operate them. So our role has three main aspects. One is a facilitator. A second is conduit for funding, and we also help set a vision for Oregon's charging future. As a facilitator, you, know, you may realize there are many players in the EV charging space with many roles and areas of responsibility from state agencies to nonprofits, car makers, charging providers, and of course, EV drivers. And ODOT helps to bring them all together. We're also a conduit for funding. We can source state and federal funding and develop programs to root that funding to private companies, cities, or other entities to build EV charging infrastructure. And so an example of this is the $4 million this and state and federal funding that we're currently spending on West Coast electric highway upgrades. And for listeners who don't know, the West Coast electric highway is a network of fast charging stations stretching from California to British Columbia. In Oregon, you'll find the West Coast electric highway stations on I-5 and US 101, plus routes into Central Oregon. It was built about 10 years ago as a public-private partnership between ODOT and a private charging company that owned the stations, and now we're upgrading them with the private company doing the upgrades and owning and operating those stations. So the third area, though, that we are working is really providing a vision for the future. We're developing strategies and policy recommendations using studies we've done to understand the lay of the land and who's doing what. And our studies are looking at future charging needs as well. And based on that, we're setting a course to guide transportation electrification's future in Oregon. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Mary. As much as I think I know about EVs, I loan a bunch more every time I talk to an expert like you. Something that struck me was Wow, 2,100 charging stations around Oregon. I, I just simply didn't realize it was that many. What can ODOT tell us about the availability of charging stations across the state? Well, you and other folks can look to the Oregon Department of Energy's dashboard. They have an online dashboard that tracks all the EV stats in Oregon, including cool. vehicles as well as charging infrastructure. But charging availability really depends upon which EV model you drive and how fast you'd like to charge up at a public charger. So there's a common standard for charging at the slower speeds, but there's actually three different charging standards for fast charging. 
So your experience is likely to vary, but the EV industry is really moving towards one universal standard. Hmm. So the upgrades to the West Coast Electric Highway will also allow more types of EVs to charge faster. That's one of the reasons we're helping to support upgrades. So, and we're also at the West Coast Electric Highway installing a 110 volt outlets to your regular standard outlet at your house so that e-bikes and e-scooters can charge up at those stations as well. And, and so as we're building all of this new infrastructure and we know we need it, how do people know where they can go to charge their cars? You know, if they're, if they're on a trip, can they look that up somehow? Yeah, yeah. So there are mobile apps that can help people find public chargers near them. And PlugShare and Chargeway are two very popular ones. Some of the EV models have built-in navigation that shows where the charging stations are as well. And increasingly, of course, you'll be seeing signs along the highway alerting you to the EV charging locations. That's that's great. And so you you mentioned that ODOT also holds the vision for the future of charging and is conducting studies around what and where those charging needs will be. So what does demand look like for charging stations in Oregon's future? Well, so last year we completed a statewide study called the Transportation Electrification Infrastructure Needs Analysis which is a mouthful, so we call it (laughs) TINA. So the TINA study looked at Oregon's future EV charging infrastructure needs over the next 15 years, not for just cars, but also school buses and transit buses, delivery trucks and long-haul freight, and electric micromobility. And the results are pretty sobering. In the next five years, we'll need a five-fold increase in the number of public charging ports. Wow. And by 2035, we'll need a 44 increase in the number of public charging ports if we are to achieve the state goals. So there are state goals that indicate that by 2035, Oregon is aiming to have 90% of new car sales to be electric. You know, as we've been going through this, you've emphasized how ODOT isn't building or installing these charging stations itself. The department isn't charged uh, with that task. Sorry about the pun there. But the ODOT isn't building (laughs) these. So how does ODOT support the work of building a charging network and expanding on what we already have? So that's a great question, and we're, we've actually got a lot of activity coming up. Um, going back to our role in transportation electrification, we'll need to keep our partnerships strong and our funding flowing because we will be getting an infusion of federal funding from the recent infrastructure bill. Mm. ODOT will be receiving $52 million over the next five years for more EV charging on major road corridors in Oregon. And we'll be working with partners to build out the network with a focus on equity and geographic balance. Nice. We're also um, at the Oregon Department of Transportation developing a community uh, charging incentive program, which will support more charging stations in low-income BIPOC and rural communities. We talked about the West Coast Electric Highway. Those upgrades will be completed in 2023, by the end of 2023, maybe sooner. And we're working right now with stakeholders on our zero emission vehicle charging infrastructure deployment strategy, 
which is going to be a statewide plan for how to deploy more charging infrastructure kind of over the next five or six years, paralleling the time frame that the federal infrastructure money will be coming and following on what we've learned from our TINA study, from looking at our future needs. We're also continuing to do more studies. We're just looking at pathways to support zero emission vehicles that could be powered by hydrogen fuel cells and looking at the needed fueling infrastructure to support that. We're also looking at ways to support the infrastructure needed for electric delivery trucks, long haul trucks, transit and school buses, as well as ways to increase the adoption of electric micromobility like e-bikes and e-scooters. So in summary, ODOT's role is one, to set a vision for Oregon's charging future, where we will need chargers, how many we will need, and how does Oregon ensure equitable access to these chargers. Two, ODOT is a facilitator of the different groups involved in EV charging and brings those groups together. And three, ODOT brings state and federal funding to the table to give to those companies that build, own, and operate the EV charging stations. Great. And as I mentioned early on, I know we're hitting you guys with a lot of links and a lot of information, but I think it underscores all the agencies at Oregon that are working on EVs and trying to make them possible in the state. Uh, So I want to mention another. The Oregon Department of Energy has a dashboard, and we'll link to it in the show notes. And this tells you uh, how many zero emission vehicles like EVs or plug-in hybrids there are registered in the state and how many charging stations there are. Like Mary said, there are over 2,100 places to charge an EV and there are apps that you can use them to find chargers near you. Don't know about you, Lauren, but that's always been one of the sticking points for me thinking about an EV is where the heck would I charge this thing at? Absolutely. And, you know, when Mary mentioned those apps, I thought, well, let's just see, you know, how useful this really is. So I quickly I just downloaded one on my phone and tried to look near me. And sure enough, at my local library, there's a charger there and it told me a bunch of good information about that charger, but most importantly, whether or not it was in use. And then, you know, over the weekend, I went walking by the library and constantly saw EVs charging up there. So as handy as advertised. Nice. Well, it was cool to hear about that in action and makes me curious. I might do a little investigation, see what's in my neighborhood. Oregonians should be expecting to see more EV charging stations along major corridors because ODOT is receiving $52 million as part of the federal infrastructural package to do so. It is so exciting, and there are seven specific corridors in Oregon designated for this funding under the Federal Highway Administration called Alternative Fuel Corridors, and um, I'm going to throw those numbers at you, but again, we're going to link to all of this in the show notes, but it's along Interstates 5, 84, and 82, as well as U.S. Highways 26, 101, 20, and 97. Definitely. And so those highways cover so much of the state, right through the Willamette Valley, out into eastern Oregon, along the coast, and through central Oregon. So what did we learn today about EVs? No doubt more and more people are buying them, and there are more choices for types of cars and trucks now than ever before. And every month, Oregonians are registering 1,000 to 1,500 new EVs. 
Wow, those numbers are pretty amazing, Lauren. But we've also learned that EVs, they can be fairly affordable, especially if you consider the long-term reduction in costs, not paying for fuel and not paying for maintenance. You can take advantage of DEQ's clean vehicle rebate program, and you can even get federal incentives. Your local utility might even have a program to help cover the cost or reduce the cost of installing a charging station at home. Yeah, it can be a bit of work up front, but hopefully it really makes those EVs more accessible. And then last, they're getting easier to charge as ODOT supports investments in EV infrastructure around the state. So finding a place to recharge is just as easy as finding a gas station. Okay, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm with DEQ, but I, I kind of want to get an EV now. I, I think I'm feeling the buzz and uh, it's going to it's just so great to know that the state has rebates to help someone like myself who's really starting to think about this. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to be test driving some soon, and we're going to turn that into a bonus pod so you can hear me in real time, experience the velocity and the EV experience, but I'm really thinking about it as well. I can't wait to hear what you think after you do some EV test drives, Lauren. Also coming up on Green State, we'll be talking about DEQ's water quality program and with DEQ's recently hired Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Coordinator. Those are a couple of the podcasts we have in the works. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to those conversations, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. Okay, see you next time. So Green State isn't the only podcast from the state of Oregon with a recent episode about EVs. If you want to learn more on the topic, uh, just this past November, Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy, did a deep dive into the state's first biennial zero emissions vehicle report. That's right. Erica Hirsch, who is the public affairs specialist, just like us, but for the Department of Energy rather than DEQ, talks in that podcast with Jessica Rikers, Odo's energy technology and policy manager. Here's some of that podcast. One of the questions that I get about electric vehicles often is, well, aren't they more expensive? And the short answer is yes. Um, Most electric vehicles that are new are more expensive than their internal combustion engine counterparts. And I think it's really important to point out counterparts. So we really tried to, in this report, look at the same type of vehicle with the same type of trim level, or you can think of that as accessory level um, in an electric form, as well as in an internal combustion engine form. Um, And yeah, they're still a little more expensive to buy that vehicle, but that cost is coming down. And an interesting thing we found that honestly, I didn't even expect when we started to do the analysis was when you can use the incentives that are available from both the federal government and the state government, you can reduce down your upfront costs of that vehicle often to less than the internal combustion engine counterpart. And when you finance that vehicle at certain rates, uh, you can actually pay less every year of ownership for the electric vehicle compared to its internal combustion engine counterpart. The electric vehicle really does offer opportunities. Over time, they pay for themselves. Um, the question is that that upfront cost and being able to, to manage that is not, um, not something that everyone has the ability to do. Just like Green State, you can find Grounded wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Green State, the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's podcast. And thanks to all the voices who contributed to the conversation. 
Our music is by Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get our upcoming episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Feel free to rate and review. And if you have any questions or ideas for topics for us to cover, you can reach us at 503-451-0585 or by email at green.state.organ.gov. To find out more, go to deqblog.com slash greenstate.